Before the start of this next episode, I wanted to thank you all for taking the time to listen, comment, share and give me feedback on this podcast, Protect and Serve. When I set out on this journey to create a new and fresh podcast on the lives of our men and women in policing, I would never have thought it would have received as much support as it has. My goal now is to get more and more people to support the show, so I in turn can support two incredible organisations, PTSD 999 and Trojan Wellbeing, both supporting men and women of our emergency services who are affected by mental health from the challenges they face in their professional lives. So please, if you haven't already, like, follow and share the show so we can all help those that help us when we need it most. It means so much to me and it means so much to them. Thank you. Please note that this episode contains descriptions of violence that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Oliver Lawrence. I spent over 12 years as a police officer serving in some of the harshest environments Australia has to offer. Now working as a senior investigator, security intelligence and crisis management expert in London, I've had the chance to meet and speak with some of the brave men and women of law enforcement who found themselves at the front line of the world's most infamous investigations and global incidents. From the underworld of bikey gangs and the mafia, to terrorist attacks of unthinkable magnitude. In this series, I'll sit down with these brave men and women to hear their first-hand accounts of these events and how they got there. Welcome to Protect and Serve. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. Killer Zelfadine Rezji has just entered the hotel grounds. He's looking for targets. The outcome in U.S. District Court today was not good for New Jersey boss Tony Pro Provenzano. Just how seriously the police are taking claims of abuse at the hands of Jimmy Savile came into sharp focus. In the UK, police identifying the suspect who killed two people on London Bridge. Police say they are investigating a suspected connection with a radical Republican organization, the new IRA. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended. My next guest on Protect and Serve is a woman that is an inspiration, not only to young ladies and men aspiring to join the police, but also to her colleagues. Throughout her 12-year career, Helen Barnett inspired others through her actions of immense courage and resilience, tackling head-on some of the most confronting and dangerous incidents in order to protect her colleagues and the public. Helen Barnett has been stabbed. She's been caught up in bomb blasts set by the IRA and has been shot by an armed offender wielding a handgun. If ever there was someone whose story is so important to share about courage, resilience, trauma and the challenges that policing can present without warning, it's Helen Barnett's and it is a privilege to have her on Protect and Serve. Helen Barnett, welcome to Protect and Serve. How are you? Hello, yes, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on board. <laughs> no, no, it's an absolute pleasure and uh, really looking forward to talking about some of the most amazing things that you've done in your in your policing career. But, you know, as I say at the start of my podcast, like every detective, we like to start at the beginning. And obviously policing, for anybody choosing that as a career, is a big decision. It's a big decision on families. It's a big decision for you personally. And joining the police 
in the mid 1980s 1984 as a cadet you know policing I believe only up until recently has been quite a male dominated environment and I'm sure back in the mid 1980s it was very much that world and I'm just interested to know what what pushed you into the direction of policing and, and how did you find those early years in, in an environment which I assume would have been quite male dominated? Yeah great question well I, I was um, <laughs> brought up in a small uh, Cotswold village uh, my parents were both market gardeners um, and um I think they sort of saw that that their careers as market gardeners was going to come to an end. And I certainly didn't want to follow in their footsteps. So they were Mm -hmm. eager for for me to sort of fly the nest, really. Um, And I was very sporty and um, sort of I remember the careers at uh, school one day. There was sort of different options popped up on the things that I was interested in. And one of them was sort of police um and yeah I just I felt I wanted to to uh help people that was kind of my main driver to, to joining really and I think mum saw an advert in the Daily Express for the uh the cadets in the, the Met Police a year of sort of adventure training and community service and all sorts of things like that and that really sort of appealed to me and that was the, the beginning of it in 1984 so yeah my journey began began there from a little Cotswold village yeah so yeah, did you train at Hendon is that where you did your training and and what was that what was that whole process like for you yeah so I I, I was accepted I went to to Hendon to the cadet school which was a separate part from like the the, the main recruit center and did a year an amazing year absolutely fantastic experience as an 18 year old adventure training climbing mountains canoeing doing community service within sort of different settings within london um bit of classroom work a lot of physical um, exercise a lot of discipline it was just an all-round absolutely amazing sort of um experience you know as a young person really and sort of you know really set me on my path Am I right in saying that in the mid 1980s, when you were going through those, were going through Hendon and going through the training college, uh, I, I remember because you see, my father went through the academy in the 80s, and although didn't finish and didn't graduate, he moved on to a different career. He recalls a story where there was these boxing matches where you'd have to learn to to, to punch each other and have a fight. Did you have to partake in such an event, being a lady? How 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 was that experience? we didn't no we were we were um exempt from bo- from the boxing but i do remember it vividly the boys do, yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah i was quite glad that we, we didn't have to do it to be quite honest <laughs> so there was so there was no two women in a ring trying to hit each other like the guys were no not not then no there wasn't because <laughs> the, the, the funny story that i have is our father when he went into the boxing we actually paid the other guy 50 quid not to punch him and the guy still hit him and knocked him out <laughs> he recalled this quite horrific story so i was just quite interested to see how he would have navigated that i hope he got his 50 quid back <laughs> oh i don't know about that probably not so after graduation where did they station you where did you head out to yeah so from the cadets i went to hendon did my basic training at hendon um, actually passed out as top student with the Battle of Honour, which was much to my amazement because I didn't wow. really think, yeah, I sort of didn't think I was academic at all. So, yeah, and looking back, I'm really proud of that. Um, yes, and then I was posted to um, North London to, to Hornsey Division just after the uh, riots at Broadwater Farm mm. uh, where Keith Blakelock was hacked to death. PC Keith Blakelock died in rioting on the Broadwater Farm Estate on October the 6th. Riots which had been sparked by the death of Mrs Cynthia Jarrett 
during a police search of her home in Tottenham. The night of violence has been described as some of the worst civil disorder ever witnessed in this country. Keith loved his job. He loved being a policeman and he was a good policeman. And he's left a lot of people with a lot of happy memories of him. So what was it like? So you just graduated and those rights have taken place and Mr Blakelock's been killed. Does the realisation of the difficulties and the confrontation of the job hit home at that point? Do you realise what you've kind of signed up for? Yeah, when we were at Hendon actually training, um, that as the riots were going on, uh, a lot of the... Um, the police officers were being fed at Hendon, you know, in, uh, in between them, you know, being called into Boardwater Farm. So we saw them coming and going and watching things on television. So it was quite a, you know, a reality check. Yeah, absolutely. To, to what, what, what I was joining. And um, yeah, I went to Hornsey and was working with people that were with Keith, you know, when he was killed and that who had been injured really badly themselves. And, you know, so it was quite a, you know, a hostile sort of local area as well. There's all sorts of, of things going on. So I kind of hit the ground running, really, as a young 19, naive 19-year-old and uh, had to learn pretty quickly. So as a young cadet, you're seeing, I suppose, what we would call today TSG officers coming into Hendon. And obviously for our viewers that aren't aware, you know, the Territorial Support Group, our riot police, probably given a different name back in the mid-80s, just any ordinary copper that you could grab from a borough to, to pick up a baton and, and, and obviously stand on a stand in a line. You were seeing those guys and girls coming in injured, were you? Not injured, but coming and going and just being fed at Hendon, you know, and yeah. then watching obviously the, the scenes on the television, you know, it was um, you know, sort of a, trying to sort of uh, understand what was going on. And uh, yeah, so it was um, quite a, a steep learning curve, really, go, going to, to that environment. Yeah. And in that early part, did you know, how do you, how do you give confidence to your parents that you'll be safe and you'll be able to look after yourselves I suppose you do they did they just rely on the training that you've received was there any level of anxiety from family as to how you'd be they were great my parents and they never they never expressed any sort of uh, level of concern and really really great parents just just let me live my life and I I, I, I know having conversations sort of recently before they both passed away you know they, they had their own concerns but they never expressed them to me so mm. uh, yeah they, they were great really fascinating so shortly after graduating um 1991 um was probably your first i imagine serious incident and altercation with an individual and as a result of that altercation there were some significant changes in policy within the met in terms of um equipment and um, uh, clothing that was issued to police. I wonder if you could talk us through that that, that, that event and that particular day and, and, and how it all unfolded. Yeah, so I was 25, um, very, very fit and strong, did a lot of you know, weights, uh, super fit, super confident, really felt invincible, to be honest. I was a young mum of a uh, 10-month-old son, uh, just working on normal shift, you know, responding to calls. And it was just a, a 2nd of September, a sunny afternoon, uh, about two o'clock in the afternoon. And, and just got this very, very ordinary call, which, you know, didn't send any alarm bells ringing at all. I was driving the van and, and uh, my passenger was John Davidson. And um, just accepted this call to a man causing a bit of a disturbance outside the shopping, main shopping area in Wood Green, which kind of was just a very ordinary call um and we were quite quiet and just 
by chance another panda car with two other officers in accepted mm. the call, call as well which was quite unusual um and we were just around the corner so i i drove to the to the sh outside the shop parked the car um and as i as i pulled up i could see from the van our suspect crossed the road it's a very distinctive description very great big guy so it was obvious to me who, who it who he was um john jumped out the van and went into the shop to find out what what was um you know why they corded etc which was pretty you know standard procedure really um and as you quite rightly pointed out about the um body armor so we, we had no body armor no my truncheon was a half size truncheon which was in my locker to be because it was absolutely useless mm. um so you know just in shirts short shirts leave order so that that's how i was dressed um i, I crossed the road between the traffic and he he was stood on the pavement with his back to me and it was busy with shoppers milling around just an ordinary day really for everybody and as I walked up to him, I, I just said something along the lines of, hello, you know, what you've been doing, um, you know, very friendly and, and, and not aggressive at all towards him. And um, in, a, in a blink of an eye, um, he swung round and I found myself just flying through the air backwards, wow. you know, and I mean, I was big and strong, five foot ten and um, I, you know, I'd landed on the pavement probably 10, 10 feet away. I mean, I was just catapulted backwards with, uh, and with a searing pain in my stomach. Um, and he'd stabbed me. He'd got the, the knife uh, blade projecting through his clenched fist. So he was actually punching with the blade. So... Um, like a knuckle duster. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, exactly. Like wow. that. I mean, what I describe now happened so quickly. So I... Um, I got up off the floor really angry, to be honest, <laughs> um, and thought very fleetingly that that's really painful, but didn't sort of, you know, these these thoughts just flashing through through your mind. Got up, went to grab my radio to call for some help and saw my, as I went back towards him, I could see him stabbing my friend um, and tried to stop him stabbing her, obviously. Because wow. she'd come, she'd come across the road from the other car that, that had turned up, and um, yeah, and again, I, then I was sent flying backwards again on the pavement and you know, a few feet away, and um, this time I'd been stabbed twice more, and um, I was just totally incapacitated by those stab wounds, and um, I just remember my kind of not understanding what was going on, but looked down and my white shirt had turned red so i was just just bleeding profusely um okay. but was, was just really confused because it felt like punches yeah um and I, I kind of that was the first time in my life really i felt very vulnerable and you know to be honest terrified you know because i was gone from this invincible sort of person to this very vulnerable person on the, on the pavement um we can be very vulnerable to that because i i remember when you know when i first graduated you think you've kind of got this bubble around you this kind of policing bubble that people can't penetrate because you know ultimately there's that level of respect for police that you can't get hurt that you know you all these tactical options that you're trained with and you know in terms of holds and restraints that you can sometimes you know that you know it's it, it, certainly for me personally it took me getting hurt to realize that 
I'm just as ordinary as anybody else, just in a uniform. That was the big one for me. And it seems to be similar to you. That was the first experience where someone really did break that impenetrable bubble that you probably thought was around you. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I used to get involved in all all sorts of things. It was just my character, you know. And, um, yeah, and so that's, that's a really good way you've, you've summed it up really because um until that point that's kind of, that is how i felt so um yeah so i i, I um i've got zara she was the fourth officer who'd who'd come across from the uh, panda car she was a young probationer she she came across and she got stabbed as well and she was sort of at, at my head i remember being at, at sort of behind me and uh, called for an ambulance and um and then some passers-by, some were really hostile, some were really helpful, um, some were giving me first aid. And um, I remember that was the first time I kind of realised I'd been stabbed. There was a lady pressing on my stomach and I heard her say she's been stabbed in the stomach as well. So I was kind of that was when it kind of hit home. Um, yeah, and just sort of, you know, that was a period of time that I don't know how, how long, you know, the time just kind of became irrelevant. I was just sort of trying to stay awake and there's just chaos and pandemonium around us and just was really happy when I, I saw a familiar face arrive, um, you know, a friend of mine, he'd run all the way down that the high road um, to get to us and, you know, that was really comforting to see somebody, you know, that I knew yeah. arrive, yeah, yeah. So when you've got somebody who's causing so much damage and trauma to individuals, how how was he managed in that instance? How, how was he overwhelmed and restrained to a point that he was no longer causing harm to not only the public but you know, importantly yourselves and your colleagues? Yeah, so he he was um, unbeknown to us. He was a, a, a schizophrenic. He'd stopped taking his medication. Wow. Um, and funnily enough, I, I met with Zara uh, only about a year ago. All these years later, and we talked about the incident. She said she she obviously saw all this going on. Mm. as she crossed the road and she said he kind of calmed down a little bit after he'd gone into this sort of absolute frenzy of attacking us she said he he, he sort of calmed down slightly enough for um john who came across from the shop to to sort of talk to him john got stabbed in the stomach but him and uh, an an off-duty police officer who was shopping with his wife they managed to sort of talk to him and he handed over the knife and wow. uh, yeah and was arrested so um but all this you know happened in probably less than than two minutes i i should imagine and it's 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 something that i assume prior to attending that obviously naturally you hadn't planned for any of it how do you you know it's interesting how you can plan to go to you know, or, or sometimes historically the most mundane and boring jobs are the ones that turn out to be the ones that go pear-shaped pretty quickly and, and without much warning and I assume that that probably would have been your thought process going to that particular job is that this is just another kind of minor disturbance yeah no idea what was going to unravel um hmm. you know you do you just you just go that's sort of the nature of the job you go to to whatever you're called to and deal with whatever's in front of you and um unfortunately that day it was uh, quite extreme so how was your recovery because obviously there was a number of you that were seriously hurt what was the processes you went obviously i naturally assume you were taken to hospital and and what was the recovery process like yeah so went to hospital was operated on um stitched up etc i had a few couple of days in hospital and we were kind of a bit like it was a bit like a circus a media circus um Mm. 
it, 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 um, there was so much interest because it, obviously three female officers and a, and a male officer stabbed. It was very unusual. It hit all the, the papers and news. Um, so, so it was kind of a lot of focus on us um, in, in the hospital. How, how did you cope with that? Because I think as coppers, we're not great at dealing with the media. It's not something we expect to have to deal with. How did you, how did you manage that? Was it a bit overwhelming for you? It was, yeah, it was quite overwhelming and in hindsight, quite invasive, really. You know, I think we mm. were, we, it was obviously, um, I, don't, I don't think our best interests were taken into account, but no, no criticism of anybody. It was just, that was how it was then. You know, I think yeah. probably times have changed. Um, yeah. And then, then we, you know, went home. I was a, obviously a mum and went home and it, it sort of, um, sort of got on with being a mum and was off sick for for a while while you know my, my physical injuries healed but there was no sort of concept at that time around stress or trauma or anything like that really so um, that was a topic of conversation so it's just something you kind of debriefed with your colleagues about over a coffee in the mill room or just you know that was just another incident you'll be right just keep going yeah, there was no sort of kind of debriefing or anything. So really, physically, once you were physically um, better, it was you know back to back to work. That was that was kind of just how it was then. And after such a confronting incident, what stops you from going? I'm done. I think I'm just going to go and do a nine to five at B and Q, and I don't need to deal with this stuff. What kept you in policing at that point? <laughs> Because I suppose I joined um, to do thirty years, and it was you know it was a career for me, and um, I, I, I suppose I'm quite a I don't know how you describe me. I'm quite a determined sort of person, and um, well, resilient it, comes to mind. So, yeah, yeah. So and it just didn't enter my head to leave. Really, it, it mm. just didn't. It didn't. You know, it was just um, just was wasn't on the cards at that point. No, just wanted but- to get back to work there were some there were some fairly major changes as a result of that incident in terms of you know you talked about this half-sized truncheon that you had which was in your locker and you know you didn't have what now we see officers wearing stab vests and and, and the ability to use handcuffs that were pro- there was a lot of changes made what were the, what were those changes that really you think helped police officers in terms of their operational tactics yeah that was hugely down to john davison who was my passenger on the day he was stabbed he um he he did a lot of research i think he went off to america um on all the different buttons, the vest, et cetera, et cetera, officer safety training. Um, and he wrote a manual along with another guy. And I did a little bit of work on the manual for him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was a result of, of, of John's good work, really, um, that policing changed forever from that day, um, you know, with the different buttons and how we approach people and, and the stab vest. So, you know, so it's a good thing, as you know, came from such a, a bad incident, really. So after your period of um, rest and recuperation at home, being a mum and doing what we know, those normal things that families do, um, I would imagine when you were coming back into work, back into shift work, you know, you'd overcome your injuries. I suppose I would assume there would have been a level of anxiety in family in terms of your return to work, in terms of the issues that you'd that issue you'd face. But you came back resilient, wanting to take on the next challenge. Um were, were there any hurdles to climb over to get back into uniform and back on the road, or was it a fairly smooth transition? I remember putting my uniform on the first day and actually going back. But, you know, it was quite, I was quite anxious um, mm. um, after being off for a while. It's, uh, but 
yeah, you know, I, it just, um, I think I, 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 from memory, I think I, I found it okay. I was okay and, you know, pretty determined, really. Uh, one thing I think that often helps us get through the, I call it the grind of policing, is is often our humour, the camaraderie and the people around us. I assume it was a, that that is a really defining factor in a, a, probably a, a lot of your decision-making process and being around really supportive and encouraging people. Yeah, I, that, that's a really good point. I think I worked with some really good people. And um, uh, yeah, I remember the first day back back at work, one of my colleagues, we, I think he, he, he kind of knew I was a bit nervous. So we kind of walked down to the scene of where it had happened just to revisit yeah. it and have a look around and just sort of put some of those sort of ghosts to bed, as it were, you know. And so that was really helpful. So, yeah, I've did, I did. worked with some great people. Yeah. So moving on to probably what is equally quite a confronting situation to deal with is during the 80s and, and into the 90s and and even to the 2000s, the the threat of terrorism has been a, a real issue, you know, not only here locally but overly over, overseas, but locally in the period of your period of policing, the IRA were incredibly active in terms of um, actions in, in, in Northern Ireland and in, here in London. And there was a particular incident that you responded to uh, whilst trying to evacuate people from the, the uh, from a bomb threat, which actually went off, and that you were directly involved in. Are you able to talk us through that particular day? Yeah, so that that was in um, Christmas nineteen ninety three. Um, I was actually in an office. We were early turn, which was a six six a.m. to two p.m. shift, and um, I'd, I because it was quiet, they'd let me uh, do my studying for my sergeant's exam, which was coming up in, in one of the offices. But I'd got a radio with me, so it was on the understanding if anything came up that needed you know anybody extra, you know I'd go out and, and deal with it. So. Uh, there I was in the office studying and uh, I heard this call come out. It was a coded, a recognised coded bomb threat. So I obviously knew that um, there were going to be bombs because the, the code word had been recognised. Uh, again, in Wood Green High Road in the main shopping city. So I ran out of the office into the backyard and everybody was you know, just, just jumping into whatever vehicles they could. I jumped into to, to a vehicle and um, just... We all went down to the, uh, the shops and just started evacuating um, with no sort of kind of clear plan, just evacuating each shop as, as I you know, ran in, told them what was happening um, and to get out. And it was quite funny, really, because people were so busy Christmas shopping. I, I think they felt we were a bit of a, a, bit, of a <laughs> bit of a nuisance, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it was just come at a bad time. Yeah, I want to do my Christmas shopping. <laughs> yeah, how dare you? Yeah, how dare you? Exactly. Um, so yeah, and I, that's what I did. I just really ran from shop to shop to shop. Obviously, in the back of my mind, thinking, uh, no idea where the bombs were going to go off, if and when. You know, it was just just um, chaotic, really. Um, yeah, and I I, I, I kind of moved onto into a sort of um, a covered covered sort of area where the escalators were going up and trying to get people out of there when the first bomb went off outside in the street um, in a bin and uh, just remember this almighty explosion and the, the glass, sound of glass smashing and alarms going off and just smoke and pigeons flying and I was on the floor I hadn't been hit but I think just the just sort of the, the force of it yeah um, I, was, I wasn't injured, I kind of got up and 
realised I was okay, but just obviously confused and um, uh, went back out onto um, the, the main sort of uh, street area and saw a friend of mine who had been doing the same as I had and we kind of looked at each other like, and I think we ex exchanged a few expletives, you know, like, what on earth's going on? Um, and just carry, and then just carried on doing what we've been doing, trying to get people just that out, but obviously not knowing what direction to send them. Um, and we'd be, we'd been stood by a, a bin, and we'd moved away just a few feet away, and um, that exploded. And again, fortunately, wow. they, they were yeah, they weren't massive bombs, fortunately. So again, we we were we were okay, but it was um, you know it was pretty pretty terrifying to be honest. Um, how do you process, you know, one bomb goes off, you're knocked to your feet, you go outside, another one goes off. How do you process, A, should you still be there? B, what is a priority for you? And obviously, as, as cops, our priority is always preservation of life of the public and to make sure we can do our job in trying to minimise that, that, that issue. But in that moment where this is, all this carnage is going on around you, how did you prioritise what was important and, 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 and who did you look to to kind of get you through that issue? just that inner inner strength that you just get from somewhere and you just carry on doing what you've got to do which was I judged was to just try and get people you know away to safety um, and we just carried on doing that again time I completely lost track of time I don't know how long this 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 was over at all um, and then eventually, the, the initial group of us that were there, we were we were taken back in um, up to the station, away from it all. Um, and um, it was quite funny. I just had this thought. My son was coming into a, a Christmas party um, with 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 my child mind. She was going to bring him in. He was only only very young, mm. and uh, I suddenly thought. I've got to tell her that not to bring him, but of course it was before mobile phones or anything. And I remember in the middle of all this, running into a, a, into a news agent and saying, <laughs> can I use your phone? To, and I, I rang her to say, don't come anywhere near Wood Green. I just suddenly remembered that. It's, it's all these sort of different things going on in your head. But uh, yeah, so we were, just went back to the police station. We had a little bit of a debrief in an office and talked about where we were and what happened to us individually and went home I think I had a couple of days off, carried on studying for my sergeant's exam and just it was just this, this sort of another level of kind of trauma on top of another really. And and, and and during that process, obviously you go from, you know, trying to manage a bomb threat to the to the explosions going off. Was there a period there where you went from trying to evacuate people to providing first aid? Were people seriously injured? Was there, you know, were there were walking wounded? How 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 was that seen? Yeah, I didn't actually see anybody injured. There was, a, I think, there was a few fairly minor, thankfully, considering mm. what happened, fairly minor sort of glass injuries, um, but um, nothing too horrific. I know they, you know, they were taken off to hospital. I didn't witness anybody actually injured, you know, in, in, when I was dealing with, with the incident. Yeah. You're listening to part one of my chat with former Metropolitan Police Firearms Officer Helen Barnett. After being stabbed on duty and almost blown up, you'd think that would be the end of Helen's bad luck in the line of duty. You'd be wrong. Suddenly, the, it, I, his arms outstretched and I just see a massive uh, puff of smoke 
and um, this bang, which is clearly a gunshot. Next time on Protect and Serve. Protect and Serve is a Mash Pumpkin production, hosted by Oliver Lawrence, research and questions by Oliver Lawrence and Robert Wynn Stanley, produced, edited, and sound designed by Jack Lawrence. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>